Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. The word of the Lord. Uh, so this summer, my son started doing something that's really cute. He hasn't done it in a little while, but he did it this summer for a period that we'd ask him to do something. We'd be like, hey, put your toys away. Or, you know, wash your hands after dinner. Uh, or just whatever uh, we asked him to do. And he would look at us and give us this, like, super sincere and earnest expression. And he'd say, but why? <laughs> but why? <laughs> and then we would try to explain it to him. This is why we wash our hands. We don't get oatmeal all over the house, uh, chocolate, peanut butter. I mean, is that really a bad thing to have oatmeal all over the house? Uh, we would try to get him to do that. And that might be the first question that I think we kind of ask when talking about today's topic. So we're talking about accountability and discipline. Maybe some of you are familiar with the concept of church discipline, and uh, you're asking, but why? Like, why are we talking about this? Before I answer that question, just so that we all are kind of on the same page of what accountability and discipline are, like, accountability is the process when, you know, you see a brother or sister in Christ who is sinning, and you go to them and gently correct them. I love that word from our foundation verse that says, gently correct them. Right? You're not out to, to prove, ah, oh, you're, you're wrong, I'm right. Not out to somehow vindicate yourself. You're out to restore them. And there's a process for that. First you go to them one-on-one, -on -one, individually, privately, personally. And if that doesn't work and they just continue to say, you know what, We're gonna, I'm going to continue on my sin, then you, you bring a partner to have that conversation. Another witness, someone who can enter into dialogue that doesn't work, then you bring it to the church. Now that's all accountability. That's a process of accountability. Church discipline only happens if the individual remains in sin and the church finally says, you know what, we can't recognize your profession of faith anymore because you're continuing to live an unrepentant life. That's when a, a church discipline happens and so like accountability and discipline, it's like this long kind of, this, 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 this process, like personal, private, gentle, to a more like public confrontation. And it's kind of scary. Maybe you're thinking like, I, I don't really want to do that. <laughs> that doesn't sound fun at all. Maybe you're just like, it doesn't really make sense to me. Maybe you could explain it some more. Maybe you think, oh, I understand the need for it, but I want to never do it. It's a sensitive topic. This is a, a kind of an inflammatory, prov provocative, uncomfortable conversation to have. But why? Like, why are we having this conversation? Well, first I want to tell you, like, there were some practical reasons that we're having this conversation, that I'm, I'm pausing our Acts series to talk about this for a couple weeks. I'm not sure how long we're going to be on this topic because there are just a couple different elements to it. I don't think it'll be too repetitive, but I think there's just like different building blocks to it, so probably three or four weeks. 
maybe longer, but like not, it's not going to be like a 15-week series on church discipline. You don't have to worry about that. But why? Because this isn't something that we naturally necessarily pick up. Maybe if you grew up in the church, you, you like know, oh, this is, this is a thing. Like if you're not really churched, you're probably not as familiar with this. Even though I grew up as like a pastor's kid, a PK, I can't say that I was particularly familiar with this topic. Every once in a while, you know, through like the parents or someone at church making a comment, I would hear that like those people or this and that couple, like they were asked to like leave the church or, or like we're just, there's something going on there. That was about the extent of what I knew about this topic. Fast forward and I get to seminary. That's like a ways off. 22 years old and I think it came up in seminary. I don't really remember it a whole lot. My wife's nodding her head, yes it came up. I wasn't listening I guess at that point. But I really, it was really kind of when I became a pastor at Emmanuel Church that it really began to be communicated more like this is a thing. So Emmanuel Church is our parent church. And that was more where I witnessed, like, this is what church discipline is, or this is what it can look like or should look like. And so we know that, like, we knew, like, even from the scriptures, and we're going to get into that more in this series, that, like, this is part of what it means to be a church, to hold each other accountable, even to the point of discipline. That's a scary thing. But, and as we, as we planted Cornerstone, so, we're, right, we're coming up on that five-year celebration. As we planted Cornerstone back in 2015, so 2015, Jonathan and the team, we, had to, we wrote our bylaws. I think it was maybe 2016 that we actually wrote our bylaws. We said, well, it's important to talk about church discipline, but we put a little line in there. That, like, we, we listed some scripture, right? Go to these scripture for church discipline and the process of that. And then we wrote this line, it's the only place in our bylaws that says, and, and we'll create a policy on that. So that was like 2016, Jonathan, he kind of kicked the tin can down the road, and then it just like came flying out of the sky and hit me in 2020. Uh, because in 2020, we approached Emmanuel Church about purchasing the building, this building. And Lord willing, we're getting close to that. Like this could happen really soon, hopefully this month. Uh, but when we first approached Emmanuel about this, they said, hey, you know, you guys said you wanted to have a church discipline policy. Like, you've communicated that to us. Like, maybe you should get that. And then we'll kind of have the discussion about transferring the building to you. And at first I was like, oh, man, I don't want to do that. But God sometimes puts us in uncomfortable situations to teach us something. And that really motivated us as a board of elders to like get it done, right? Because with policies, like you can spend a year or two working on a policy. This was like, no, we got to get this done, so let's do it. And so we did. We wrote a accountability and church discipline policy. And originally it started as a church discipline policy, but we really expanded that to be more of a, an accountability as we thought and processed and learned about what this is. And so this series right now is meant to introduce that policy. Wow, what a fun series, introducing a policy. But I think that's needed, right? I think we need to have a little bit of a broader conversation about it, connecting it to Scripture. I'm not going to send, uh, like, the email tomorrow with this policy. I'm probably going to wait a couple weeks just so we can get a little ways into it. But we're hoping that this will be a thing that we can then discuss as a church, like, understand it, process it together through this series and uh, through receiving the, the policy reading it, giving us feedback. 
And that policy is meant to be like a study of it at the same time. And so that's what we're doing. We're just pausing. We're going to study what this means. Because I think the Bible calls us to really understand it. And so that's like kind of the first but why. I want to talk more about like from the scripture. But why? Why even worry about accountability? Why even worry about church discipline? It's not like, like three steps to grow a church and the third is practice church discipline. But it actually does get to the root of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. What it means to be a Christian actually connects to this topic. And so I know like the, the name of my sermon is But Why? It's really introducing this question. What does it mean, I don't know if this is uh, the stick of connectivity was not plugged in. Sorry about that. What does it mean to be a Christian? Thanks, Anne. Uh, we could have had an altar call. That would have been a very successful altar call as she was coming forward. Come to, oh, Ann Rawls. All right, we have our first. <laughs> next time, next time. Uh, what does it mean to be a Christian? I think there's two things. Number one, it means recognition of sin. Number two, it means repentance leading to life. And so now I want to just talk about those first. Recognition of sin. Like, we need to believe that sin is a thing and that sin is bad and that, and that we got it. That's where, like, our Christian journey begins. Recognizing that I'm not God, I'm not perfect. Sin, like, very simply, it's a very churchy word, but it means missing the mark. Missing the mark. It actually comes from an Old Testament passage in Judges 20, verse 16, where they're talking about like slinging some stones, and then they use this word, they say like, they never missed. And that's the word then that we see becomes like the word for sin. And so sin is like going to a bowling alley and always managing to, to get like right in the gutter. <laughs> right into the gutter. Maybe some of you are like that. I'm especially like that, because right, Colorado moving here, what are the, why, why are they so small, like the bowling balls? I don't understand that. Always missing, always throwing a gutter ball. I saw a video recently of a guy. Have you seen those videos? They're like drawing a perfect circle. Have you seen those where they go like up to the chalkboard and they're like draw a perfect circle in geometry class and everyone's going crazy because it's geometry class. It's like never being able to draw like that perfect circle. It's like an oval or like a square or a triangle if you're really bad. It's like throwing a dart and always missing the bullseye, never hitting it hitting the wall, hitting the ceiling. But what are we missing? We're missing God's holiness, God's perfection. My life is not measuring up to God's standards. I am missing the mark. That's what sin is. God told his people all the way back in the book of Leviticus also another book we go to for church growth. He said to his people, be holy as I am holy. Be holy like I'm holy. You're like, oh, that's a big call. That's a big command. That's an imperative. Be holy. In the New Testament, we actually see it like, be perfect. 
1 Peter 1, 15 through 16, uh, Peter talks about this and he references back. He, he's affirming this Old Testament concept for the people of God. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. Oh boy. I can think of plenty of my conduct that has missed the mark that is unholy. That's wicked. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. See, God's perfectly holy. There's no wickedness. There's no evil in him. He is good. He's loving. He's kind. He's pure. And when we sin, you know, we introduce that like brokenness, unholiness into what he has created. That's why our world is so broken. That's why there's riots. That's why there's stealing. That's why there's greed. We did that. Our unholiness lived out individually and culturally. We have fallen short of God's command to be holy. And it's bad for us and it's bad for our world. And it leads to a really bad place. James talks about the destination of sin and where it takes us. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. So easy to blame others for my sin. James won't let us do that. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. My flesh, my desires, they lure me away from God. They lure me into sin. That leads me to death. There's this very provocative picture in the book of Proverbs. The woman folly leading one who is easily enticed down her steps, and her steps go to the grave. It's where sin leads us, to the grave. But it's no big deal, right? Let's just sin. Let's just keep going. <laughs> Let's just live our lives, do what we want. Sin is like tasty, right? I, I like to sin. It feels good. I get to do life my way, the things that I want. I was uh, playing at a playground. I guess technically Elijah was playing, but uh, <laughs> saw an ice cream truck at the playground. And it, uh, we were leaving, so I was like, don't look. And uh, we, uh, we were walking out and saw the ice cream truck. And of course, I don't know if this one was playing the music, but you know like that, that ice cream truck jingle when they're going through your neighborhood? Does anyone know it? Do you want to sing it for us? No? Hum it for us? Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> I can't do it. You can look it up on YouTube afterwards. And, uh, you know, so you visualize this. You're going up to the ice cream truck. You're excited. I'm going to get some ice cream. And you go up and you say, like, how much does the ice cream cones cost? And the, the guy in there is like, actually, it's, it's all free. What? This is the best ice cream truck ever. <laughs> That's amazing. So, like, there must be, like, some sort of catch. He's like, yeah, well, all the ice cream is free, but I'm just going to top it off with a little batrachotoxin. Batrachotoxin? What is that? <laughs> what is batrachotoxin? Like, am I speaking your love languages, Pender? Like, just like some sort of chemical, some chemistry going on up here in the pulpit? 
I, and the guy would be like, no, nothing to worry about. Just, it's a little frog juice. It's like colorful frog juice. And you're like, oh, my ice cream? That doesn't sound very good. But you know, with frogs, they're like, you know, like, they're just like little, and they just hop around. You can hold a frog, and it seems to be fine. I probably wouldn't even taste it. Maybe I want it. And the guy's like, you know what? You won't even taste it. And we got some good flavors. We got chocolate chip cookie dough. We got mint chocolate chip. We got cookies and cream, Rocky Road, vanilla, you know, strawberry, Ben and Jerry's. I'd be interested in that. Put a little frog juice on that. Doesn't sound so bad, but batrachotoxin is one of the fifth most deadliest substances in the world. Like poison dart frogs, <laughs> you're not supposed to touch them, you'll die. <laughs> so you need someone there who's like a chemist or a biologist to be like, don't eat the ice cream, let's call the police. <laughs> this is weird, <laughs> this should not be happening. Sometimes we have a hard time recognizing sin for sin. Sometimes we have a hard time recognizing that sin leads to death. Sin just looks so tempting, it just looks so good, and sin leads to cardiac arrest. Romans 6.23 says this, it says, For the wages of sin is death. Thankfully, the verse doesn't end there. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Ephesians actually talks about how we are born like in sin, like we're, we're already dead. It's like the bad news for everyone is that we've all already tasted the, the bad track of toxin, the, the, the frog juice. It's like two, two little grams of it that are like the size of salt. So two little grams of salt size of this, this poison will kill you. We, we're already dead in our trespasses and sins. All fall short of the glory of God. All fall short of God's holiness. We need a solution. So becoming a follower of Jesus, but why, is just recognizing the power and the presence and the awful reality, the wickedness of our sin. Because I think if we took serious the nature of sin and the nature of God's holiness, I don't know if we would really ask, but why? <laughs> like there's nothing more important than, than fleeing sin. Preaching that to myself. So being a Christian means recognizing that there is sin and that we got it. But there's a gift. The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hallelujah. This is the gospel. Can I have an amen? <laughs> we talked about that in our Christian ed uh, class this morning. We, we formed a committee and we decided it's good to say Amen. <laughs> while preaching. Repentance leading to life is what we need. Let's go back to the beginning of Jesus' ministry when he was preaching the gospel. Because when Jesus came, it says he was preaching the good news, the gospel 
of the kingdom of God. Mark chapter 1, verses 14 through 15 says, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So the gospel is this repentance, right, and belief. It's also this kingdom of God coming and flipping our entire world upside down. We were talking about that in our race class in the Kingdom of God study series, that like, the gospel is like bigger than we give it credit for. It's cosmic in nature. But in order to be part of building that kingdom of God and ushering that kingdom of God in, if you want to enter into the kingdom, you have to repent and believe in the gospel because if you try to build the kingdom without the repentance and the belief, you get the Tower of Babel. And that falls into dust. And so we repent, we, we recognize our sin, and we come to God. We recognize that we've taken the frog juice. We're born in it. We bathe in it. We love it. And we repent. We see this in our book that we've been studying, Acts. Repent, therefore. This is Peter. He's preaching at the end of his sermon. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. So you see kind of what repentance is defined in there. Repent and turn back. So repentance is like this. Okay, I'm shifting directions. I'm no longer heading the direction I was headed. I'm heading a new direction towards Jesus. I'm not necessarily heading that direction perfectly, Sometimes I swerve. Sometimes I step off the path into the lava. There's like a lava pit right next to it. I burn myself with sin. I bump into others and push them off the path. They get burned. Like it's, it, sometimes it's very dangerous. But we're headed the right direction. We're heading towards God. We're, we're trying to live under grace, not under fear. We're trying to follow Jesus. And we recognize that, well... The life comes from him, doesn't it? It doesn't come from me. It doesn't come from my perfect obedience. Because I always like kind of look back at like my old life and think, you know what? I'd like to go back there. Sure had some benefits leading life my way. Instead, we're looking into Jesus and what he did. That he went to the cross to redeem me, to redeem us, to redeem our world. He went to the cross to lay down his life because of the poison. He, 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 like, bore all the frog juice, all the sin, all the poison, all the venom, took it to himself, and he killed it. It cost him his life. He had to die, but he killed it. So that you and I, if we repent, believe in him, and trust in him, and, and seek after him, like, he's given us life. He rose again from the grave, right? He defeated sin and death so that he can redeem us he can redeem me. He can redeem our broken world. That times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. I think sometimes we as Christians get a bad rap that we are obsessed with sin. I think part of walking as a follower of Jesus is realizing just how bad sin is. But we have to, just as hard as we preach the depravity of brokenness and wickedness, we have to preach grace and that those times of refreshing may come. We just looked at a verse where it talked about, you know, 
Wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. We repent, we believe. And I love this verse. I'm just like, this is all over the place today. For God so loved the world. Do you, who here has memorized this verse? Okay, would you say it with me? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Amen. I guess that's just the, the word of the Lord there. I'm supposed to uh, stop my sermon. Whoever repents, believes in him, receives eternal life. And this posture, is, this repentance is not a one-time act, right? I came to the altar. Thank you, Anne. Uh, it's not just a one-time act. It's a lifestyle. It's a posture. I continue to repent. I have repented. I'm repenting right now. I'm going to continue to repent because I want to continue believing in Jesus. We can't gain eternal life apart from Jesus. It's only through him. And anytime we do, we just look silly. The first emperor of China, Qin Shi Huan, that's where we get the name Qin, China, China, he wanted to gain eternal life. So he drank mercury. <laughs> and as you might imagine, had the exact opposite effect. He's the guy that built the Terracotta Warriors. He wanted to live forever. He actually required people to start calling him the immortal. <laughs> the immortal in 2012 BC. And then he died two years later. <laughs> That's what like sin is. We just, if we live in sin, we, we breathe it, we drink it. We think we're going to live forever, but we're not. That's why Jesus came. He drank the poison for us so that we might live. So first, being a Christian means recognizing your sin, and second, it means repentance leading to life. This is core to Christianity. But why? This is it. Christians need help. We need help doing this. Like, we're not perfect at it. Like, we're... You know, we live in a, in a, in a place, in a, in a world that's just says, like, I can do it on my own. Just me and Jesus. It's like, no, God gave us a church body. Like, you're a thumb, you need a pinky and an elbow. Like, God gave us a community where, where we can help each other along. Because here's what I know about my heart, and here's what I know about your heart. Our hearts are deceptive. They lie to us. Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? And so if I'm someone who says, you know what? I have it all figured out. I know my heart motivations. I'm a good person most of the time. I'm good to go. Or, you know what? I can just deal with my sins by myself. Well, your heart's deceiving you. You're being deceived by yourself. We deceive ourselves all the time. I know I'm not supposed to be in this relationship, but it makes me happy. Frog juice. If it doesn't hurt anyone, why does it matter? Frog juice. Nobody saw. Frog juice. They are the enemy. I hate them. 
frog juice. I just wish everyone would shut up and listen to me. Frog juice, as I preach that. Did you hear what he did? Frog juice. If I can just buy one more thing, I'll be happy. Frog juice. I bet the Emperor Chen would have lived a lot longer if he had someone who told him, Mercury will kill you. And he listened. To be a Christian is not to be sinless. Like, uh, you know, the whole thing about church discipline is not to make each other perfect. That's God's job. But it is to help one another along when we see those, those sins that just like we're blind to in ourselves. Help us stay on the path. As the great saint friend who I miss, Terry Isles, once said, right, my, my heart is prone to wandering. Uh, Lord, I, I leave the path. It's better to have a partner for the journey. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 10, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him who is alone when he falls has not another to lift him up. Like, you probably wouldn't go skiing by yourself. Maybe you would. Just, it's a little dangerous. You probably wouldn't go hiking like, for long, extended periods by yourself. It's a little dangerous. So why do we walk the Christian life alone by ourselves? This is why we need one another to, to help each other along. And this is where we finally, finally, finally get to that church discipline passage that's like the most famous passage of all when it comes to this topic of accountability and church discipline. Matthew 18, 15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. There it is. If they sin against you, just go have a conversation. It's not that hard. And we do it without fear because like, even if they don't listen, like Jesus loves us and he's forgiven us. And we can do it with grace because Jesus loves them and forgives them. That's where that gentleness comes from. That's where that confession, uh, that compassion, and that humility comes from. And that's like where we go to our passage today, Galatians 6, 1 through 2. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, caught in sin, you are spiritual, should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. It's something that I've failed at time and time again, but God's gracious to me. He's being gentle with me, so let's Let's try to be gentle with each other. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. I love that image of just like bearing another's burden. Right? Sin is a burden. Sometimes it feels good, and sometimes it doesn't feel good. Like my, my image of the ice cream falls short, because sometimes sin is just sin, and it's disgusting and broken, and it weighs us down. So what are we to do? We're to help each other out. We're to bear each other's burdens. And how we do that is by praying for them. But if we look at this passage, it also means gently restoring them. Right? So that means not only like being willing to talk about them, uh, this with, it, with them, but also means like walking through life with them, like checking in on them. How are you doing? I'm praying for you today. Here's a word from the Lord, like the passage maybe it'll encourage you. How's your marriage How's your, how, how are your eyes? How is your thought life? And I need that. I think we all do. 
So kind of in closing, and we'll be talking more about accountability and discipline as we go along, I just want us to answer a couple of questions. Like, how far would you go to stop a friend from eating frog juice? What would you be willing to do? Knowing that ultimately it is their choice, but are you willing to go through all the steps that God lays out for us? To help one another? Would you go to them personally and privately, like first before going to anyone else in the church body or anyone else in your family and just have a personal conversation with them? Would you be willing to do that to stop your friend from eating poison dart frog juice? How about for sin? And if they don't listen, would you bring a friend? Would you be willing to do that? If they still want to eat the juice, like would you would you be willing to like, get your whole community together to say, hey, don't eat the poison? Like, wh- is that mean or is that loving? I think that's incredibly loving because sin leads to cardiac arrest. There's a way to do it that's domineering and I'm in charge and you better submit to me. And there's another way of doing it where it's like, you know what? We're all on a journey. I'm broken too. Let's submit together to the king, to Jesus. The good news is that, like the bad news, we've all already eaten the frog juice. The good news is that Jesus is the antidote. Jesus provides the healing and the grace and the restoration. The reason that we can restore one another is because Jesus has already restored us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for Jesus. Lord, help us to confess those sins to one another and just help us to hold each other accountable, encourage one another to, to walk a life that is obedient to Jesus, to have those difficult conversations. Uh, to follow the right path and to, to do it the way that you want us to do it. Lord, we need your Holy Spirit for this. We can't do it apart from you. It's hard. It's hard. And so we just ask for your Holy Spirit to lead us forward in this, Lord. And I pray that we would be a church that, that is willing to take the, the steps that you want us to take. We love you, Lord. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.